dive into the view of the Bible that we hold. Uh, so I don't know if it's on there yet. Okay, so I'll step aside here and read it. So we believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings. The complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in at all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Let me pray, and we will unpack that together this morning. God, we do thank you for this morning and this chance uh, to worship you, to know you, to walk with you. Thanks so much for Luke leading us in worship this morning. Uh, That was a really sweet time uh, to just be reminded of who you are and to give you the praise and worship Jesus that you deserve. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that uh, this morning would be pleasing to you, that our hearts and our minds would be pleasing to you, God. We obviously need your grace to do that. None of us can do that in and of ourselves. Uh, We need your Holy Spirit to empower us to do that. Lord, as we look at the Bible this morning, may we come to see that it truly is your word to us. It truly is uh, our authority in this life. It really is a gift from you, Something we can understand that can be an anchor as we walk through this incredibly complex world. Um, Lord, we're in a cultural moment where we need your Bible. There's always been cultural moments that we need your Bible, and we're certainly in one now. We ask that we would not come in here with arrogance, thinking that we are somehow over the Bible. We're all tempted to live that way. Instead, would we be under the scriptures? Would they inform us about life and nothing else? In Jesus' name, amen. With the the amount of time we have this morning, uh, we're not going to be doing this intricate explanation of why the Bible is reliable, uh, looking at the history of manuscripts or the archaeology to try to prove to us that the Bible is indeed reliable in the Word of God. I will leave you with some good resources at the end where you can actually dive into that more yourself because what you're going to find is there is an incredible host of resources available to help you grow in your confidence that the Bible actually is reliable and actually is the Word of God. In fact, it's by far the most reliable ancient book we have. and It's not even close. Secular Christian historians would all agree with that. Uh, so I'll point you to that at the end. Rather, this is going to be a really a high-level overview of what the, what the Bible claims to be uh, and how our church responds to that and then why that matters for our life, both as a church but also as individuals. So really, what is the core of the Bible. We're going to see three key things that the Bible claims and that we hold dear. One is that it is without error in what it teaches and means. So the meaning of the Bible and what it's teaching us is without error because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The second thing we're going to see is that it reveals all that it needed to reveal. 
which is sometimes hard for the human race. I think sometimes we want to know more. Uh, But we can take confidence in the fact that what the Bible reveals is full. It's complete. It's what we need for this life. Nothing more was needed. Nothing needs to be added to it or taken from it. And the last thing is, none of us like this word, especially in our cultural moment, it is the authority on life's issues. Life's most important issues, it is the authority. So what we're going to do is get uh, Luke 24, 44 through 49. I quickly, the statement of, of, uh, of faith mentioned this, but I think it's important. In Luke 24, 44 through 49, we'll have it on the screen, Jesus is referencing the Old Testament here when he's talking about himself. And he says in verse 44 through 49, it should be up on the screen, he says, when I was with you before, he's talking to his disciples, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah should suffer, would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things, and now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father has promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. I think it's important to note that when we talk about the Bible, uh, we, we, we contend, especially as evangelicals, to focus on the New Testament. I think that's just natural. I think that we, I, in fact, I think I preached a sermon a few months ago where I talk about when you look at our Bibles, the last eighth, the pages are usually ruffled quite a bit, and the first seven eighths, which is the Old Testament, are clean and pristine because I think it's easier for us as evangelicals to read the New Testament and spend our time there than it is to get into the deep waters of the Old Testament. Maybe it's just me, but I think I've talked to a lot of people over the years who feel that way. What can happen when we have that view of the Bible is that the Old Testament can start to feel less and less relevant, less and less like God's word, and really just the New Testament is God's word. Jesus did not think that way. Uh, The people of Jesus' time, in fact, every author of the New Testament did not view the Old Testament like we are tempted to. In fact, in most of the New Testament letters, what you see is a heavy reliance on the Old Testament, actually, as the authors are putting together this unbelievable story of what Jesus has come to do. In this text in Luke, what you see Jesus doing is essentially elevating the Old Testament so that people understand this is God's word, he's saying. This, and in fact, he breaks it up in such a beautiful way. He's talking about the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He's including all of the testimony of the Old Testament, and he's saying, all of it points to me. Do you guys remember what he does on the road to Emmaus? Sam preached on this sermon a while ago. What does he do on the road to Emmaus with those two as he's walking? He's unpacking for them the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, that it all is pointing to him. And so as a church, as a, as a people, we believe that the Old Testament is as authoritative as the New and as important as the New for our lives. Does it take extra work? 
to understand it, given uh, where we live in time, sure. But that doesn't mean we don't spend time in there as a church and as individuals. Moving on to the New Testament, and then we'll, we'll get into what this means for us. Um, the Bible says a lot, Jesus says a lot about the New Testament and his words, but I find this one to be super helpful when we think about this idea of the New Testament being elevated, not just to some letters, but to actually like the Old Testament. It is indeed the word of God that we, we anchor our lives in, that we fill our lives with. And Paul writes in Colossians 3, 16, it should be up on the screen, He says, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. What is the message about Christ? Where do we find the message about Christ and all its richness and all its fullness? Well, we find it most clearly in the New Testament letters. The Gospels are really unpacking Jesus' life and his actual words. And then the letters from Paul and others, essentially what they're doing is they're taking the Gospels and what Jesus taught, and they're applying it to the churches of that day and to individuals of that day and, and for all time. So all of the New Testament is essentially looking at Jesus' words and applying them into our life. And so the more that we saturate our lives with the New Testament as well and what it teaches the more we're going to grow, the more we're going to be healthy as Christians. So Old Testament, New Testament, we stand on the fact that these are both God's word, equally God's word, and we look to it for all things. Now, part of the problem, I think, as we, as we look at this in our day, is we're in a moment, and I think this is important for us as Christians to understand, we're in a moment where Okay, you might say, okay, Brandon, great. You, you've, you've said that the Old Testament, New Testament are God's word. You've shown how the Bible kind of shows that. Okay, I, I kind of get that. But we live in a moment where everything around us is saying, do not trust or anchor your lives on external sources of authority. Right? If you think about where we're at, uh, whether it's the news or schools or colleges or industry, what you're seeing is an incredible push toward is to move the locus of authority from things that are external to what? To things that are internal, right? What our culture is telling us is what actually is the source of authority is who? It's you. It's what you want. It's what you think. It's what you have decided. No, see, in our culture, the locus of authority is not out here. It's, It's in here. That's what we're taught. That's what we're wrestling against all the time. If it feels right, if you think this way, uh, then it is absolutely true across the board. So we're going as people who would say that the Bible is our authority and is a source of our direction in life, we're going against the grain of our culture, whether we see it or not, because what we're not saying is that that this is internal authority. But my question to that is, is that really how anyone lives? Is this idea that we would, as people, look to external things to help us, look to external authorities? 
I would say that's how God has set us up as humans. I don't think he ever intended for us to internally decide just for ourselves what is true and, and bank our lives on that. To be totally self-reliant, totally individualistic. I do not think, as you read the Old and New Testament, that's how God created humanity to live. And I think when we live that way, we start to become dysfunctional. I also think that no one actually lives that way, even though our culture claims that that's the ideal. That's the highest mountain. I actually don't think anyone lives that way, if they're truly honest. And I'll give you a couple examples of that. What is our authority for parenting, whether you're a Christian or not, as you go through life? I bring up parenting because parenting, if anyone's tried it, is unbelievably complex and hard every moment of every day. Now, as you've parented or grandparented, do you just rely on yourself the whole time as the ultimate authority of what a good parent is and how to do it and how to nuance this situation or that situation? Do you just internally come up with it? Or do you find yourself on the phone asking someone, how the heck do I parent this child? Have you ever done that? Have you ever called someone? Don't go on parenting blogs, but have you ever been on a parenting blog? How do I handle this situation with my kid? Which blogs do you go to? Well, you probably go to ones that have good reputations or were referenced. Has anyone ever checked out a book on parenting? Why did you choose that book? Why did you choose that author? Was there letters after their name that intrigued you, like MD or PhD? How about in your career development? As you guys are all in your careers, uh, and you're developing as a professional person, have you developed completely on your own, through your own instinct, as you thought about, you know, whether it's you're an engineer, or a teacher, or a business person, um, have you ever relied on books to help you develop more in your career? Have you ever relied on a class or a degree, a professor, a supervisor, a training? Um, or has your career been this self-made project that you've actually had no authority outside of yourself to develop and get better at it? Has anyone had a career like that? By the way, people who don't develop in their careers, everyone around you knows it. The people who don't look to outside sources get stuck, and then everyone around them says they're not good at their job, and I don't want them on my team. How about even your authority for your worldview? Let's say you're not a Christian, but, but you have a view of life. You, you have a view of how things work, why things are the way they are. And my question is, have you come to those conclusions just of your own instinct? just of your own reasonings, just of your own feelings? Or have you read books on other religions? Have you read books on other political viewpoints? Uh, have you listened to podcasts or lectures on why the Christian worldview is accurate or why maybe the Christian worldview is not and there's another worldview that's more accurate? Have you taken in authorities outside yourself to help form you into that worldview? I'm hoping what we're seeing is that this whole notion that we are self-made people 
who, <laughs> it is, <laughs> we're, we're told it's weak and archaic to look for external sources of reality to inform our decisions and our views. And that the only way to make truly independent worldviews or opinions or theories is to have it inside ourselves, and it's our own experience and our own feelings. None of us actually live that way. And that's okay. It doesn't mean we're weak if we look to something outside of ourselves to be an authority. It doesn't mean we're stupid. It doesn't mean we're just followers and we're just lame. Because everyone else is doing that. The question is not, do you rely on external sources to, to be your authority and form your opinions? The question is not, do you do it? The question is, what is your sources? What, what is it that you're actually relying on outside of yourselves? We're not as smart as we think. We need other things. We need other people. We need other authorities to help form us and shape us. All of us, whether we're Christian or not, are in this journey. The question is, is the Bible a part of that for you? And if it is a part of it, is it the main thing that is your authority that's shaping you and forming you? And what our church is saying is, that's our hope. Are you going to have other authorities and things in your life that are going to shape you and form you? Of course. We're not saying not to do that or have other books or other things you're looking at in, in life, but, but really it's, is the Bible the ultimate the, the grid through which you view things, the litmus test for which you view and make decisions on life. Our view as a church is that that's the place the Bible needs to have, is that it is the ultimate external authority for our life. That interestingly, when you hear about the Bible, one of the mysteries of it, that Paul writes a lot about this, is as we dwell on, which is what Colossians is getting at, as we dwell on this external thing called the Bible and meditate on it and saturate our life with it, it actually starts to come inside of us. The Word of God actually begins to dwell in us and become part of who we are. It's a beautiful thing. So, what does it mean that it's without error in what it means and teaches? Let's unpack that a little bit. In Luke 24, what I read before, Jesus talks about, I'm just going to pull it back up. We can pull it back actually on the screen, Trevor. Uh, let me just read it again. I think it's important to notice what Jesus is doing in this. So now that I hope I've shown us that all of us have external authorities, I, I'm, I'm going to hope to show us that the Bible really is... Uh, what it claims to be. Luke 24, 44, 36, Jesus says again, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yet it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise, on the dead, rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there's forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. Now we'll send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city till the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. 
the Bible is without error in what it means and what it teaches. Unlike a lot of religious books, like the Quran, uh, the Quran would state that the words themselves are divine. So, Arabic, which is what it was written in, those words, the actual words that Muhammad wrote, are in and of themselves divine. So the Arabic language in and of itself is divine. Now that, pre that presents a problem in terms of translation. Because I've, I know of faithful Muslims who talk about the issue that when you have an English Quran, the problem with that is that that is not the divine words. English is not a divine language. So when you translate it, it becomes very problematic. And I think some people have a view of the Bible that's the same thing. They will say, oh, it's been translated. It's been, it's been reproduced in different languages and passed down over the years. And I would say that's a beautiful thing, actually. I would say, well, I would ask the question, well, what does that show you about the heart of God? The Bible started in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. How many languages is it in now around the world? Thousands. And every day as we speak, they're translating it into more and more languages. Why are they doing that? Because from the very beginning, and Jesus talks about this, This message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. How are you going to proclaim his name without translation? So the Bible is not a book that says the Hebrew words, the Greek words, the Aramaic words, are in and of themselves divine, and once you go outside of those words, you have a huge problem. No, what the Bible says is what it teaches its main truths, its main ideas for all you English majors out there. The main ideas of any book. As we read a book, we're not necessarily remembering specific words. What are we remembering when we read any book or any letter? What is it that we're remembering? The main things it was talking about, right? The main ideas, the whole point. And so the beautiful thing about the Bible, one of the things I love about it, is that it's saying, no, the words can be translated... The words can be reproduced, the words can be passed down, and they can actually be putting in, you can put them into new languages as long as, and this is what translators for hundreds and hundreds of years do, they look at the original language and say, what is this saying? What does this mean? What is Jesus getting at? What are the authors getting at? And then how do we express that in this native tongue? So the words themselves are going to be changed, but the meaning of what's being taught never changes. And actually, as you look at the thousands of years of translation that's happened, every scholar will tell you the meaning has not changed. What has been taught in the Hebrew and in the Greek and in the Aramaic is in our English Bible. That's why we can have such confidence in it. In fact, just as a side note, and you can look at this more, I, I find this really encouraging. Um, the New Testament, for example, just to, to show that it's been translated and passed down over the centuries into English and other languages, 
Um, we can have great confidence in the meaning. Uh, if what's inspired is the meaning and the point of what's being taught in the original, we can have great confidence the same is true in our English Bibles. I'll give you an example. Did you, you guys ever read the Iliad in school? You guys ever remember that, the Iliad? I don't know if I read it. I probably was supposed to, but I probably didn't. Um, would you guys say that that's kind of a historically reliable book as you've thought about your courses and teachers giving that book to us? Well, the Iliad also was translated, right, into English as we read it. Um, and it was, it, was, it was translated and it was passed down through manuscripts over, over time, uh, over hundreds and hundreds of years uh, to get to the point where we got to read it in class. Um, and do you know what they're relying on to show that the original that Homer wrote is what we have, the meaning of the Iliad, that they've they're not been totally changed? Do you know how many manuscripts they rely on to, throughout history and throughout different locations to show that? 300. So they have 300 manuscripts or parts of manuscripts that have been passed down. The New Testament, not talking the Old Testament here, just the New Testament from when it was first written, the original meaning of it, and then translated over hundreds of years in different countries and different parts of the world through different languages, through different authors, all showing that it has the same meaning that's been transferred. Do you know how many manuscripts or parts of manuscripts that all say that same thing? that the meaning has not been changed and it's verified through manuscriptal evidence? 25,000 manuscripts are all confirming the same thing. So any historian will tell you, secular or not, and this is true, that the New Testament is by far, without even a close second, the most reliable document in the history of the world. It's not even close. So in light of that, the Bible is showing all it needs it then tells us that it's revealed all that it needed to. It doesn't have to give us any more uh, than what it has revealed. Notice in Luke 24 that Jesus highlights a few things that the Old Testament taught. Now, he talks about some key things. He says, the Messiah is going to suffer and die. The Messiah is going to rise from the dead and that the, the, this message would be proclaimed for the forgiveness of sins. Now, would we, would we say that those are pretty significant things that Jesus is talking about? This idea that he could have said a lot of things that the Old Testament taught, but he, he highlighted some of the big ones, some of the, the really important ones uh, that the Bible was revealing. And in general, the Bible, as we think about our own lives, I think we tend to want the Bible to speak to every situation and every circumstance we ever face. Um, but Jesus didn't seem to treat the Bible that way. He's really honing in on what, what, are the, what are the main things that the Bible is teaching that we need to know that's good for us, that's critical for us to know. And I actually think the entire Bible is that way. It, it chooses to reveal what is critical, what we need. Uh, for, for salvation, for life, for family, for marriage, for uh, decisions on ethics, these critical areas of our lives that all of us face, how to live well, uh, how to be a blessing to other people, how to love. These are the things that the Bible actually reveals. 
what kind of toothpaste you can choose or what color your car should be. Uh, These are not things that the Bible relates to. And sometimes I think we spend a lot of our time with decisions and we can grow bitter at the Bible for not necessarily getting into the fine details of every little minutia of our life. But I don't think that's the purpose of it. I think what the Bible is essentially telling us, these are the most critical things for you to know. If you're living in line with these things, you're going to be okay. And these little fine details of life, that's where we need each other, we need counsel, we need wisdom from others to help us make good decisions. But ultimately, the foundation of these decisions is, are we living in step with the Bible? Are we living in line with the main things that it's teaching? And what are those important things? In the last section, is that it is the authority on these important things. Again, I think it's really important in our cultural moment um, that we understand that the Bible actually does talk about these things because I think our tendency is to view the Bible in some different ways. One is maybe to pick and choose from it. So there are parts of the Bible that fit with my intrinsic feelings of what's good, and then there are parts of it that I don't like and I'm going to reject Um, That's not a good way to interact with the Bible. Um, That's not a good way to live in its limits and in its authority. Um, Or maybe we look at it as a really inspirational book, and so we read the happy parts of it, but we don't want to think about the parts that are hard and difficult, issues like sin or hell. We want to avoid all of that. Um, We just want the positive things in our mind, things that are positive. And again, I don't think that is what Um, is healthy or good as we think about making the Bible the authority of our life. And it's not what our church uh, conviction would be related to the Bible. In fact, it is our authority on life's most important things. Um, And so as we're facing issues in our day, uh, this, we need to continue to come back to the Bible as our ultimate source. Um, The Bible has an enormous amount to say about important things. It doesn't have a lot to say about things that are not as important. Not to say other things in life aren't important, like which company should you work for, but the Bible focuses its time on things that are eternally important, critically important, essential to our life and functioning as human beings. Issues of life Issues of death for those living and those yet born. The Bible talks an enormous amount about life and death. And so as we're engaging in these types of topics in our life, the Bible has to be our authority. Issues of family, issues of sexuality, issues of God making men and women, these are issues that are critically important in our day. The Bible has to be part of that process because it has an enormous amount to say about all of those things. In fact, I would say, on good ground, 
that it's the Bible's idea. It is God's idea. All those things, life, sexuality, death, marriage, family, these are not things humans created. These are things that God created. And so we need to be very careful to not engage those topics without him involved and without his word as central to those things. Now, does that mean we do it in a nasty way and in a cruel way and in an unkind way and without asking questions and listening and engaging in a healthy way? Of course not. We have to engage with love, with grace, with gentleness. In fact, who models that? Who models engaging controversial issues with a spirit of humility and question asking best? It's Christ himself. (laughs) That's our model. So I'm not saying to be a renegade or a jerk, but what I'm saying is oftentimes we leave the Bible out, and that is so unfortunate. Issues of eternity, issues of heaven, issues of hell, issues of who Jesus is and why that matters All these things are central to the Bible. Things that we build our lives on. So to end, some of us may be asking, so what? Who cares? Why are we talking about the idea that um, the Bible is without error because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit? He literally, as, as Peter talks about, he carries the authors along. I love that view. The Holy Spirit carried the authors of Scripture along. I love that. He's using their personality, he's using their temperament, he's carrying them along to write the scriptures. It reveals what it needs to. Nothing more, nothing less. And what it reveals are what's absolutely most critical to our lives. Anything critically important in our life, the Bible speaks to an enormous amount and has a very strong opinion on. And so it behooves us to know what that is and to to actually obey that, even if it's contrary to our internal feelings. Do we trust God? Do we trust his word? Do we trust his character? So why does this matter? Well, here's the point. And we see this all around us in churches today, in America, especially in the West. If our church does not have this view of an obedience to God's word, we become unhinged. We do. We become unhinged. And it's happening all over the place. We have to begin looking to other sources besides the Bible to determine what the church should believe and how it should behave in the world. And you know what happens when we do this is we start looking like the world around us. That's all that happens. When we start looking to things outside the Bible for ultimate final authority, we start looking like the world. The church starts looking like the world. Does that remind you of anything in the Old Testament? Who started looking like the world? In the Old Testament. What does God come down on the people of Israel most for in the Old Testament? If you had to sum it up. They look like the world. Why does God's judgment come on the people of Israel? Because they're looking like the world. And when we as the church throw off the Bible and go to other sources, what do we start looking at? There's nothing unique about that. There's nothing cool about that. We just simply start looking like the world. And we know how God feels about that. So if we, don't, if we don't have this view in obedience to God's word, we become unhinged. And as individuals, if we don't have this view in obedience to God's word, we begin the same journey. We start looking to other sources to be our final authority. 
The consequence of this is unity as a church becomes impossible. We all go our own way into our own ideas if we don't view the Bible this way. If you're struggling with the Bible, if you're struggling with its reliability or its authenticity or its histor- historicity, um, there are some resources I'll put up here that you can start with. Um, there's a couple websites you can look at and just if you want a short read. Gospel Coalition, Desire and God, those are just two. But they have great articles on the Bible. Just type in Bible, you'll come up with a thousand things. This is pretty wild, this last one. It's 1,200 pages long. So if you want like a whole summer read, it's 37 scholars who've written on scriptures. And D.A. Carson has edited the whole thing. I actually plan on, on reading it. Uh, the Enduring Authority of the Christian Scriptures highly recommended. This would be a, worth your money. Um, so as we grow to believe, obey, and trust the Bible, our church will become more stable, unified, and fruitful. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning uh, and this chance to, to be together and to, to really think through and wrestle with this idea of the Bible being what it is. Um, Lord, this is not a popular view right now in our culture, and that's okay. Um, because throughout history, your church has had many seasons where it's not popular. And when it's been super popular, it oftentimes has been unhealthy in certain ways. Help us not be afraid of being unpopular uh, in this view of the Bible. And Lord, would it continue to unify through the power of the Holy Spirit our church? In Jesus' name, amen.